But it was imposter syndrome for sure. When we got in, I was like, I didn't even want to go to college. Like, now they want me to go hang out with all these smart people? I guess I just didn't put myself in that category for whatever reason. I don't know, I just felt like very different. So when I was doing all these pitch competitions, I had not yet gone to Kenya. So here I am. You know, my two co-founders are Kenyan. And I'm I'm like, my name's Lauren Welch and I'm one of the co-founders of Self Health. We are a digital healthcare company based out of Kenya. And then like, have you been to Kenya? I said no. And I said, but my efforts here is more valuable than me being there at this time. From Gani Media, it's Fear is a Liar, a show about rising and established professionals and entrepreneurs. All the fears they face related to risk, self-doubt, failure, unknowns, and much more. We take a deep dive into what didn't work and how they dealt with it. I'm Ron Gani, and on today's show, we hear from a young woman who went from a high school job at a pharmacy to co-founding an international medical records business. Without positive reinforcement, the desire not to fail is often stronger than the desire to succeed. Lauren Welch grew up with many examples of what not to do. From a father who was incarcerated to a parental attitude where nothing ever seemed to be good enough. She never thought college was in her future, but her teachers in high school convinced her to apply. Once accepted, she was working and going to school full time but also took on hours at the University Medical Center at Texas State. It was there where she discovered an information bottleneck in patient care and met her co-founders, Carlos and Frank. They collectively took the leap into business by starting Selfa Health. Founding a business to fix these problems wasn't what Lauren expected to end up. After all, her journey down this path starting with a pharmacy job just days after she graduated from high school. She had a difficult family situation. She needed the money. She took the job and spent years flipping the odds until she ended up at the top. I grew up um, single parent household. My mom worked two jobs, uh, Mm. so kind of day and night thing, spent a lot of time on my own. My father was incarcerated, Mm. so, you know, like lots of holidays spent like visiting him so okay my holiday times were a lot different like no no Disneyland so and it took me a while to like even understand that when people were like oh yeah like we went to Disney World and I was like why didn't I go to Disney World I was like oh because we had to go visit my father in prison makes sense so that that was kind of like how things went I had like a couple of odd jobs that I do like just here in South Austin like people would pay me to like before favor was a thing I was favor like here on South Congress, like people would pay me to like go get friends, which is now like the torchies. And so just random like side hustles. Did you have any siblings and how long was your father incarcerated during that time? So my dad is still incarcerated. Um, okay. That particular time was seven years. Um, I do have a brother. He has a different father. He spent a lot of his time with his grandparents. They moved here to kind of take care of him because my mom was working so much. She kind of had like child care for him. But then my dad's mom like doesn't live here. So it was kind of like me and my mom the whole time. So how old were you when he went away and, and kind of had to just step it up? It was I was four. And then whenever I was in fifth grade, 
yeah, fifth or sixth grade, he came back. He was out for two years, went back in. He's just like a habitual offender, you know, like an addict. So it's sad. But it showed me, like, I didn't necessarily have the parents to show me the right thing to do, but they showed me, like, what not to do, you know? Like, I was like, ah, better not. And also, like, on the other side of the spectrum, I knew exactly, like, how to handle law enforcement because my parents knew, like, hey, this is what you don't say, like, so that definitely gave me some gave me some tricks in my later days. Fast forward a little bit, you had to take on a ton of responsibility. You had mm-hmm. to basically fend for yourself for the most part because your mother was probably working, right, mm-hmm. two jobs. And you graduated high school on a Friday, and then you went to work at uh, as a pharmacy tech on a Monday. Yeah. So tell me about that transition, how that happened, and, and you know, there was no fun in there, I guess, right? Yeah, so, like, I started working full-time in high school, and I kind of, you know, you gave me an inch, and I went a mile, basically. So I had these teachers who, um, they gave me, like, an internship. I did the internship the first part. The second half of the year, I had all these, like, free periods, and I was just kind of, like, not going to school because I didn't have to. Um, And when my teachers kind of found out that I was kind of taking advantage of the system, they made me take that pharmacy tech test. And I had just, like, transitioned into a new job. And I found out that the pharmacy made like $4 more. And I was like, yo, I'm going to get that $4. And I was like, oh, man, this thing, this class that they're making me take is actually going to pay off, which was crazy. So I, I took the test. I passed. And then, yeah, that next, that following Monday, I was working in the pharmacy. And I was just like, hey, new paycheck, who dis? So fast forward just a few months. You graduate high school. You start working as a pharmacy tech. You're doing something like 40-plus hours a week. Mm-hmm. You enroll in Texas State University while still working at the pharmacy and keeping that job. But then you basically take on another job, kind of like three full-time jobs if you include school, and you, you go to the University Medical Center at the age of 18, and now you're doing about 60-plus hours of work a week and going to school. So how did that happen, and how did you pull it off and balance it out? So, like, one thing is, like, I never wanted to go to college, like, at all. It's not that I didn't think I could do it. It just was never planted in my head. And then, like, out of nowhere, um, I was told, like, you need to apply to school or we're going to be upset with you. And I was like, ah, don't Who was that? Uh, these were my health science teachers. So they basically told me if I didn't apply that they were going to remove me from the internship, which meant I would have had to take four additional classes. And I didn't want to take four additional classes. So I was like, fine, I'll apply to college. And then, you know, like, little did I know I'd actually get in. And then it was like, oh, what, what's my major going to be? And I didn't want it to be anything. You know, this is right after the first graduates from 2008, so after the recession. And so you hear, you started hearing about all these people who graduated and couldn't find jobs. And that was like terrifying for me because, you know, I was already working full time. At that point, I had to pick something that to me was bulletproof. So I picked respiratory care because everybody's got to breathe. It seemed like that wasn't going anywhere. And in the mix of that summer, I got a call from Brackenridge University Medical Center. Like they offered me a part-time job but I had health insurance through HEB. And I was like, well, I can't lose my health insurance. And so I was just like, ah, I can do it. I'll just do it all. I was younger. All my coworkers were older. So probably I was like a five-year age difference at that time. So it was kind of cool to be taken under the wing of some people. Or these people are also like, you know, 21, like 22. So I could see what they were doing and be like, all right, so this is how they got here. And we're in the same place right now. So what, what can I do to be like in a different place when I'm that age, you know? I was like always trying to think, like being strategic with life. 
So what what would you say if you key down to one or two things like motivated you during that time? Because you don't just get up and, and do all this work and do two days of nonstop classes and just like grind it out all week just because, right? So there had to be a motivating factor. Looking back, I guess, what would, what would you say? Mm, I think it was just like I didn't want to fail. Like I just wanted to succeed. Like I think my mom raised me with this principle of what did you expect? So I never got like pats on the back. Like if I was like, oh, mom, like I passed this test. Like I got the best grade. My mom would be like, well, what did you expect? And I'd always be like, I don't know. What did I expect? Like it's, it was such a like weird thing. And I remember like when my dad was out of prison at one point and I was a relatively good runner and I got like second place and, you know, I had beat the district score, but someone had obviously beat it also. And I was like, I got second. And he was like, that just means you were first to lose. And I was like, fuck like both of them can I get a break like geez so, so like I think those really wired me to like be like an energizer bunny so basically no positive reinforcement no, it seems really. like whatsoever yeah. and uh you're like okay I guess I just got to work harder to get there yeah it was just like this is it is what it is like just go do it were there times that you can remember back then where you kind of like you know call it six months into that schedule or a year into that schedule that you were just like it's just too much or you know you kind of had some breaking points as anyone naturally could or would especially during finals and stuff like that when you got to kind of grind it out honestly what I hated was I hated college I really hated college because I didn't relate to these kids in my in class with me what do you mean like I would hear them talk about like oh you know my mom came down and she got stuff from my apartment and she wouldn't leave I ran out of money like and I would hear all these things like entitlement definitely and Mm -hmm. I just didn't understand that like people's parents did that like really because you couldn't relate yeah yeah so it was like very strange and I just didn't I didn't connect with these people at all Let's take a short breather. But when we get back, Lauren connects with a resident at the medical center. They share similar frustrations on issues in medical record keeping, and she has no idea how this link with Carlos and his brother Frank will change the course of her future and set her on the path to becoming an entrepreneur. They apply for MIT's hyper-competitive Global Entrepreneurship Bootcamp. Self-doubt, unknowns, and setbacks are just some of the emotions the team faces over five rounds of back-to-back interviews. Lauren also shares how she got into business school without the typical prereqs. That's coming up. I'm Ron Gani, and you're listening to Fear is a Liar from Gani Media. Let's jump into your entrepreneurial venture, Zelfa Health, which I believe sparked from like personal frustrations that you had while working at the medical center. Is that right? Yeah. Could you elaborate on you know how that came together and what your frustrations were and what you did to take action on it? I guess how that happened was we have so many different systems in, like in healthcare that you have to log in and none of them communicate with each other. So for me, I was working in the pharmacy. So that's the last point of care before someone goes home. So I also worked at a charity hospital. So like you know, these are like high risk patients. They they want to go home, they're flight risk. And to not get, you know, the necessary message, documents, you know, whatever I needed, it was a bottleneck to like care. And that really bothered me. And I was, I was reading all these things about tech. There's so many different things that are all connected, but healthcare just wasn't. And I, it just didn't make any sense to me. So that was like my first, like, why doesn't this exist here? 
But then um, I met Carlos, who's my co-founder, and we met the first year I started working there. And he was a resident, and we knew each other for four years. And he also kind of was really the one who planted that seed. Like, I'm from Kenya. You know, they're getting out of this digital dark age. They use mobile payments. And then at that point, I started looking at what does that leapfrog phenomenon look like? You know, and how could we do that there? He kind of challenged you in ways that others that you were talking to at the time, obviously at that age especially, were not. Mm -hmm. And you guys connected, right? Right. And you must have shared these frustrations about the processes you just shared. And um, how did it come together where about moving forward and creating a system or a company to, to fix the issue? Honestly, really fast. We had talked about a mobile electronic medical record and what would that look like? And at this point, I had decided to transition into business school. So I had left the respiratory care, uh, left Texas State to go to St. Edwards. And the reason for that is because I realized that the quality of care wasn't dictated by the clinician. It was dictated by the administration. And it didn't matter, like, what rank you were as a clinician. It all came down to who was in the business office. And I was like, well, I should probably go to the business office. But then I had to find a way to get into business school. So I like hacked my way into business school. I applied as a biology major at a private school. And then when they took my money, I said, no, I'm changing my major. So (laughs) how did that plan come together? Uh, Because I knew Texas State was going to say no, Mm. um, because there's like, you know, certain prereqs and Mm. I didn't want to waste any time and I didn't want to be told no. So I looked into what the like, I think it was like the financial aid or I found some loophole and I knew that they would let me in as a biology major because I had all these science credits. And I just waited a certain number of days. And then I was like, hey, like, I want to change my major. They made me meet with, like, two or three advisors. And we're like, no, you can't. Like, you can't just do that. And I was like, yes, I can. And then, you know, it was a little little push. They finally let me finally let me do it. And now I'm, like, on their business page. And I'm, like, they're 54 distinguished alumni for business. It worked out for both of us. So looping back to uh, linking up with Carlos uh, at the medical center, it's it's like kind of the fall of 2016, and you took you both took immediate action to take this idea and bring it to reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you you signed up for an entrepreneurship course, which you just touched on, I think, right. and then you you brought on a software engineer with the help of Carlos. Yeah, it's help. actually his brother. Oh, okay, so tell me about mm-hmm. that. So what happened was like it was all just an idea. This was like a thought experiment for me, and then one day. I asked Carlos, like, how's it going? And he was just like, hey, well, yeah, we need to have a meeting right now. Like, Frank's on board. And I was like, cool, your brother's going to help you. That's awesome. And he's like, you know, he's going to help us. And I was like, what do you mean us? Mm -hmm. Like, what? And he was just like, yeah, like, we're all going to do this. I think we should apply to this MIT program. Oh, okay. What MIT program? So I was in a MIT global entrepreneurship program. that um, It was very selective. So the acceptance rate was 2%. Our particular class had 112 people from 36 different countries, and only, like, less than 30 were females. We, he's like, hey, you should apply for this. And I was like, I'm not going to get into that. And he was just like, well, just do it. Just just see. And I was like, you're right. And so we got in. So I was the front runner on the application. But the last interview was the three of us, and we were, like, one of the only teams that all members got in. Because they do, like, a personality test. Because this, it's like... They call it drinking from the water hose. So you put a lot of people from different cultures. They're sleep deprived. There's there's some conflict pretty pretty quickly. So 
just to uh, circle back on all this that's going on at that time, you have the job at the medical center. You're still mm-hmm. working at the pharmacy as a tech. Mm-hmm. You uh, have transitioned from Texas State University into this you know, business program. So, yeah, business management at St. Edwards. Right. And you're linking up to, f- to basically found this company to solve this communication error and issue in, mm-hmm. in medical services that you noticed with Carlos and his brother, who's going to be the software engineer. Right. Carlos sparks this inspiration to, for you to apply to this MIT Global Internship Program mm-hmm. for this, for this idea. idea. Mm-hmm. Ha- and you probably never heard of it. Or even if you have, you probably would have never thought about doing that. Yeah, I had no idea. Right. So you guys put the idea together to pitch that to the MIT Global Internship Program. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And how many rounds of interviews was it? I don't remember. It was between three or five. Three or five. In person, on the phone. So the first one is like a video. And then the second one was questions. And then the third one was a Skype interview. You quickly went from, I'm not going to get in or be able to do something like that, to submitting the app and start just crushing these interviews. Because obviously you're going next step, next step, next step, right? You're, yeah. You're working up to the second, third, fourth, fifth interview, right? Right. So what's going through your mind here? So I was always like someone that was like, don't talk about it, be about it. So I didn't tell anybody until the Skype interview because I was like, I've never done a Skype interview before. What what do I do? How do I look? What do I say? Like, wh- how is that? How do I come off as likable? So at that point, I had like reached out to a faculty member that I wasn't particularly close with because obviously I'm working all the time. My teachers didn't really know me. I like this one guy um, who was a my business law professor. I just like went into his office and like casually, like. With a plan. Yeah, like (laughs) mentioned it and he was like, oh my gosh, like you need to go talk to the dean. And I was like, let's not make a big deal about this. I'm like, I'm not in yet. Like, let me get through this interview. But it was imposter syndrome for sure. When we got in, I was like, I didn't even want to go to college. Like now they want me to go hang out with all these smart people. And like, I don't, I guess I just didn't put myself in that, that category for whatever reason, uh, it just felt, I don't know, I just felt like very different. Yeah, I mean, I think that like many folks, you put yourself in a box, mm-hmm. right? And you say, that's for them, that's not for me. Right. Like, going back to what you said, I don't have the parents who come and buy me an apartment and fill it up with furniture and give me cash to go hang out with my friends on the weekend yeah. and buy all my books and take care of me. Exactly. I'm the one who struggles. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who doesn't make it and just keeps trying sort of thing, right? I'm For just sure. I'm just kind of just picturing it. And and obviously that brings a lot of fear in your head of like, you know, what if, what if, what if? Mm-hmm. And the universe kind of was just guiding you in a way that you didn't expect. And Definitely. then and then you were just like, whoa, this is like possible. Yeah, it was uh it it took a lot of reflection. I think at some point I realized like people might be ahead of you this way because, you know, they didn't face adversity. But like at some point, like all of that adversity you face, you get these life tools to like, to be able to think independently, to be able to do things on your own, like, you know, to be able to have a different solution to like the same problem that everyone else does, opposed to someone who's given, you know, everything their entire life or what have you, like chances are they think the same way as other people who have gone through that. They're like, they're not intuitively problem solvers, but they can catch up to that with life, you know, like a marriage or failing a class, getting in trouble with the law, like you're gonna face adversity at some point in your life. If you face it before, your job then is to catch up to that, whatever you lack that they have. And lots of time that's education, stability, 
And so that's basically what I was doing in that time, or at least that's what I told myself. I was just like, okay, I'm going to college and I'm getting money. I have what they had now. That reminds me of one of my many mentors from afar is Grant Cardone, and he says a lot of things online. But one thing he says that really sits with me all the time is that for you to reach your potential, you got to have these peaks of success to know what your potential is capable of. Mm -hmm. You got to have those surges along the way. But if you don't have the setbacks, if you don't have the adversity, if you don't have the trials back and forth, you don't enjoy that surge of excitement and, and realize that potential. And it seems like you started seeing that between working with Carlos and working at the medical center and then also keeping up with school and getting into this business program through the back door the way that you did. Mm -hmm. And then someone just came in front of you like Carlos and was like, hey, apply for this MIT program. All of a sudden, you guys applied, you guys went through all these rounds and then you guys got in. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you were kind of starting to realize like, wow, this is possible mm -hmm. without someone telling you it's possible. Yeah. You were doing it on your own. You, you just went for it. Like everything that I've ever done has kind of been a suggestion from someone else. And then I like, you know, added my own thing to make it better, or what have you. We'll get back to Lauren in just a bit. And when we do, she faces a lot of intimidating unknowns. She starts by catching her first international flight and heading off to Australia for MIT's Global Entrepreneurship Bootcamp. It's months of work compressed into five grueling days of pitching the company. Lauren questions whether or not she has what it takes to make it through. While Carlos leads the charge in Kenya, Lauren boosts Selva Health's profile by pitching and raising over 500,000 worth of cloud service credits in just three months from Google, Amazon, and others to lower the company's overhead when they needed it the most. She also reflects on the role of self-awareness on her journey and how it turned her difficult family situation into motivation that gave her the skills to become who she is today. Stay with us. I'm Ryan Gani, and you're listening to Fear is a Liar from Gani Media. I don't know much about the, the program that you mentioned at MIT, the entrepreneurship program, I think it is, right? So tell me, you get in, right. what sorts of fears and self-doubts come in your mind on your way to starting the actual program? So they call it a global entrepreneurship program because they pick different places in the world for to host it. So I think like the first two years it was in Boston, but the year that I did it, it was in Brisbane, Australia. So now I'm like, oh, like this is a girl from Austin, Texas. Like I had never only place I'd been is like Mexico so like going to Australia I was like oh man like that plane ride and I did that all by myself so no one flew with me which was you know looking back I've I've flown so many places now but then it was like how do I do this like they want to look at what what are they doing with my bag like can I have that back like it was just so many getting off at different airports I was like where am I at and so it was a, it was really scary um but getting there it was kind of like a little identity crisis because, again, there were so many different cultures and I had never really identified as a culture, like, per se. My mom kind of kept that away from us because my brother's, like, half black and half Mexican and then I'm half Mexican and, uh, like, Native American. And so, but we never really had, like, that culture. We were who we were. And so when I went there, people were like, you know, what are you? And I was like, I'm me. I'm from Austin, Texas. Like, not even from the States. I, I'm from Austin, Texas. 
Okay, so tell me about the, the actual program, how long it was, just summarizing what the steps were, and mm-hmm. um, what was the most challenging for you during the program? I think everyone's going to say lack of sleep. And then just like team dynamics. So Carlos and Frank, they got into the program as well. So it was a five-day program, and they do 40 hours. So it's supposed to be a full semester in a week. And then you pitch an idea. How do they expect you to be productive? You are. In that? Okay. (laughs) You're very, very productive. The whole point is, like, you, you hit this wall very quickly, like, by day two of, like, I suck. This is a variety of ages in different points in their career. Um, so it's a really inclusive environment. But yeah, you just, you really hit, you face problems very quickly with your group and or whoever you're working with. And you, you pivot. It's like you're building a company, but in a very, very, very short time. And then at the end of the week, you pitch and, you know, you can't wait to leave. You can't believe that you did it. I think this is the, the best thing about the program. You hate it. You're like, wow. Graduation day comes, and you're like, all right, that wasn't so bad. But when you're on the plane, you're like, I'm never going to get that, like, stimulation again. Okay, so tell me what happens next, right? For Zelfa Health, uh-huh. you guys are moving forward. You got through the boot camp. How did you get, get a funding round? Did you put together, hire some people to put together the team? Like, what progressed then to actually launch it, and how long did it take? My senior year of college, Carlos and Frank went to Kenya, and they were like, okay, like, let's really, like, let's find a team, let's find an office, let's find our first uh, pilots. And all while they're doing this, I'm do- making, like, pitch decks and doing pitch competitions, kind of getting us credits, things like that, to, you know, get us ready to launch, to have, you know, some cash flow. And then fast forward to graduation day, that's when I went to Kenya. And we had launched our, like, MVP at that point. So in, in like layman terms, someone who doesn't have any sort of medical background, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me step by step how it would work. A patient would come in, they would be evaluated, mm-hmm. and then there would be records produced based on that. And then what happens from there based on the vision of Zelfa Health, what you guys are producing to solve the issues that you found, what happens next? Yeah. So I mean, with papers, like there's a problem with storage, like where do you store them, how do you get them, and then like the accuracy of it all. Who wrote it? Is it legible? What we wanted to do was, or what we have done, is we've digitized that whole process. So, you know, they register on on the platform, uh, the intake form's there, everything is just standardized, so there's no miscommunication. You can see who signed off, when the patient came in, when they left, how long were they in the waiting room. So from that aspect, you can look at key metrics to say, oh, this was the average waiting time this particular day. And so going from they can't find records or like they don't know who the patient is or charting in the wrong patient file, um, this completely changed their workflow and made it more, more efficient. So what was the most difficult and what didn't work? So, I mean, biggest thing was like, spending money we were spending a lot of money because we didn't know like i don't know we didn't know how to bargain shop i guess so uh, one way we combated that is i realized that some of these pitch competitions um that there are representatives from like google amazon that were just kind of you know there because they were a sponsor and i just started asking them like hey can i have some credits like 
literally. And so when you say credit, can you describe? So you're pitching Zelfa Health. There's other people pitching how they're going to mm-hmm. change the world through these events. I guess that put together that are yeah. put together out there, and then folks like Google and all the other big startups are there to try to find the next best thing. I'm assuming, right? Right. So how do these credits come into play, and what is that? We build on top of the cloud, and so you have to pay for your storage on the cloud. But it gets costly. So at one point, you know, we were spending like four grand on AWS and Amazon Web Services. Yes. And so, you know, I saw that and I was just like, oh, like, you know, we, how long can we last doing this? Sustain. And so, you know, from a week from that point, I ended up getting us like 120K worth of credits from Amazon Web Services. I've raised like $800,000 in credits from cloud because I realized I wasn't going to get money from people. And I was like, well, I'll go get it from these other I'll get it another way. So you just found this opportunity to just keep raising money to help support the mission and maintain and sustain the company. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, how long did you raise 800K? All in all, probably most of that. So probably 500,000 was within like three months. Wow. So when I was doing all these pitch competitions, I had not yet gone to Kenya. So here I am. You know, my two co-founders are Kenyan. You're selling the dream. And I'm I'm like, my name's Lauren Welch, and I'm one of the co-founders of Zelfa Health. We are a digital healthcare company based out of Kenya. And then, like, have you been to Kenya? What and I'm like, say? I, I said no. And I said, but my efforts here is more valuable than me being there at this time. I would say that mindset's probably come off of you going for all the things that you've done thus far. Otherwise, you probably drown in it like many folks would, I imagine. Yeah. Also, done is better than perfect. Like, if you're always trying to strive for perfect, you're going to, like, stunt your growth, or in my opinion. Just get it done and then, you know, navigate that that space to make it better, you know, and get to as close as perfect. Because I feel like I wasn't self-aware when I started this at all. And going through that process while you're stressed and, like, you can't separate yourself from the company is huge. It's huge. And I don't think people talk about, like, mental health in startups. Like, now I guess more so. But even then, it's kind of like after they make it. I don't know. I think founders need to talk more about being vulnerable in that space. And mentors are great, but I think you, people should talk to like other entrepreneurs that are currently going through that. You know, it's, we're in a time of technology. Things are changing. Our experiences are changing. So touching back on the personal background, how much of your father being incarcerated and having some addictions, how do you think it has motivated you or worked for you or against you throughout your journey? I definitely think it's worked for me. Like, that takes a lot of headspace. Like, seeing my dad come out of prison and, like, get a job and, like, navigate his way back into society after, you know, like, not knowing, like, what really what the internet was, not knowing what cell phones are and just, like, I don't know. He just adapts so well and there's never, like, this, oh, boo-hoo me. Like, he's very much like, ah, you know, I'm a victim to my own circumstance. Like, it is what it is. Like, I'm just going to get back out there. Both of my parents are super hardworking, and they don't, like, make excuses for themselves at all. Like, my mom's had, like, a crap life. So I think both of them are very, very motivating in that sense. That's Lauren Welch, COO and co-founder of Selfa Health. The company is working on going from having clients in the single digits to triple digits by potentially partnering with a massive healthcare provider with over 800 facilities in Kenya, with more in Tanzania and Nigeria. In other exciting news, they're gearing up for a new mobile processing partnership and introducing new inventory management solutions for medical providers in the US. A quick shout out to Aaron, Shady, 
Zane, and Simon who helped me produce the show. Thank you. To my daughter, Severine, and our future counties. I hope you hear this one day and it provides some value in your journey. For our audience, if the show provided a positive takeaway, please subscribe and share with others in your network. Thanks for tuning into Fear is a Liar, where we share how our guests embrace all the fears related to risk, self-doubt, failure, unknowns, what didn't work, and how they dealt with it. Lauren Welch and Ronnie Gatti. I'm out.